0: You are now listening to the sound of... That's basically the whole soundtrack of Tenet.
1: It's almost the dialogue track of Tenet. That's
0: what I mean. Like, if we just did a podcast where you literally couldn't understand what we were saying, but you heard a bunch of ambient sounds and baws... (laughs) <laughs> it would be a lot like you were hearing Tenet. Yeah, or any Christopher Nolan movie. Or any Christopher Nolan movie. But I would say Tenet was particularly egregious in the sound design It was, I,
1: I gave it the benefit of the doubt of, of assuming that the theater I was at didn't have good enough sound or didn't have it adjusted correctly for me to hear the dialogue
0: track over the music track. But it same for you, right? Yeah, it was the exact same way. And I give it the benefit of a doubt like maybe i'm losing my hearing i mean actually that's what i sat there thinking i haven't seen a movie for a while you know over covid and all that this is my first time back in the theater maybe i've just like lost the ability to hear dialogue as it's mixed in movie theaters yeah it was nice to find out that that was not the case i just simply (laughs) never possessed the ability to hear dialogue as it's mixed for Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. Cuz the world has been complaining about this. I've seen articles and think pieces about it. Good. Good. Nolan says that I don't design my movies to be played on crappy sound systems like I design them to be played on the best sound systems and you, know, would, you would you want anything less? <laughs> Yes,
1: <laughs> I think I would. <laughs> I, I would love to be able to hear the dialogue, although in this movie, honestly, I, I didn't feel that it mattered. Because...
0: Well, and okay, that would also be Christopher Nolan's argument as we're telling a, sto- a visual story. Now, oh, I wish that he was better at telling visual stories. Uh, yeah. This me is going to be a, This is going to be a snobby one, folks, and Jake's not here to <laughs> mitigate it with his I'm here, Nathan. his populism. Yes, the least snobby. Cinephile. <laughs> oh, good. Hey, I should introduce what we're doing. This is uh, you're listening to Sanity at the Movies. I never actually finished saying that. My name is Nathan, your humble and obedient host. That's Ben. Hello. He has joined me today to talk about Christopher Nolan's film *Tenet*. Tenet. I just said it backwards, or did I say <laughs> it forwards? I don't know. Kind of blows your mind. It, it does. And we are recording this right now in what's our present, but you are listening to it. In our past whoa! Which for us is the future <laughs> That didn't even make sense We already recorded this But you're listening to it right now Ah, We could be dead does
1: Nathan does this reversing the flow of time mean This never happened <laughs> <laughs> That's a line from the trailer for Tenant, folks I, That doesn't even make sense
0: Well I'll tell you what does make sense Ben It's Sam. giving people our patented Patron choice award of awesomeness I'd like to do this before oh. Going on Now as you know During the Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness segment of the show, I pick out one patron from the group of people that give the appropriate amount, and we say how awesome they are. So today, let's talk about Seth. Seth. Seth is awesome. Yeah, he is. If you were going to compare Seth to one person in Tenet, who would you compare him to? What's his name? The main character's best friend. Uh, Tenet. Yeah, Tenet. <laughs> Tenet. <laughs> no, his name's that Tenet. Bob Tenet. <laughs> I just lost his name. Neil. 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 Uh, yeah, like. Neil is the man. Neil is the foppish British guy played by. Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. Who's going to be the new, the Batman. Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, we'll probably just call him the Batman in this review. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, he's great. He's really good. Oh, man. Loads of fun. I, I would say, well, okay. What, how how we, we should actually do a part of this podcast that doesn't contain spoilers. So Okay.
1: Well, we can start that now just by continuing to say, yeah, Robert Pattinson is awesome as the protagonist's best friend. Mm-hmm. The protagonist, by the way, played by John David Washington, doesn't have a name.
0: He's literally referred to in the movie as, as the protagonist. I'm the, I think he even says at he one says, point, he I'm says, the
1: protagonist. That's what he says. That's what he says. Yeah. Because his duty transcends national interests and whatever you want to say. Mm. and. Transcends time, kind of, but it's not really giving a spoiler if you've seen the trailer, I don't think. Transcends good writing. It it transcends a lot of things, But but he's an awesome actor, and so he's a lot of fun to watch, in my opinion, even though the movie is not necessarily fun to watch.
0: Yeah, he's very charismatic, has some of the same charisma of his father, Denzel Washington. Just one of those guys that you like to watch. He brings an innate irony and sense of humor and... Just brings a lot of things to the role that aren't in the script.
1: That's right. And so does Robert Pattinson. And so watching them go through these act giant action scenes and plot contrivances together, they give you a sense of a real friendship and camaraderie that's fun, even though it's not exactly in the script. The script thinks it's in the script, but the script is wrong.
0: Yeah, exactly. The script <laughs> the script is wrong. And that's not the last time we'll talk about that. They have chemistry. I mean, we can give Nolan some credit for that. he probably sure. cast them for their chemistry. He's I,
1: think, I think Nolan is good at that, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. And, and
1: so maybe, maybe that's less a criticism than it could be. Maybe it's just to say, yeah, Nolan's, Nolan's thinking, I'm going to tell a visual story, and I'm going to find these two charismatic actors who can make this happen. I'm planning for it to happen. I'm not writing it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show it,
0: and I'm counting on their performances. And I think, give that to you, Nolan. Good job. So, in old Nolan movies, like, say, for example, the most, egregious, the, the most egregious example of what I'm talking about is Batman Begins. In an old Nolan movie, he still wouldn't be able to show you it. You wouldn't be able to write the right scenes, but mm-hmm. he would at least tell you it. Like, the characters would say, we are our best friends. Batman Begins is full of some of the most horrible dialogue short of a George Lucas prequel where where characters just spell out their motivation. I can't think of any examples. It's been years since I've watched Batman begins, but but the
1: whole movie feels that way. The whole
0: movie is just people saying, well, the famous line that I like to make fun of is it's what we do that defines us." (laughs) (laughs) stuff like that is repeated
1: constantly throughout Batman begins because Nolan, that's his way of like, I have a theme I mean, it's also the fault of his scriptwriter, who's written, helped write a lot of superhero movies here and there. David Goyer. David
0: Goyer is a good constructionist and a very bad writer. That's right.
1: David Goyer was not involved in uh, *Tenet*. I don't think.
0: No, and neither was Jonathan Nolan, who's been involved in the writing of most of Christopher Nolan's movies. His I, brother. I think Jonathan
1: Nolan probably adds some of the actual wit that you might, like Dark Knight for instance the Joker has, kind has more of, width than Batman Begins.
0: Yeah, we have a character that feels a little bit like Heath Ledger's Joker in this movie and mm. the writing is so much lamer than, Yeah, like at least you could tell they were trying and did a few drafts on the Heath Ledger character in Dark Knight but this is nowhere close to that. But we should step back and maybe give our, we're not gonna be able to have this conversation without spoilers so maybe let's just give our general thoughts before so my general thoughts is that this movie was fine in terms of, like, I was engaged enough while I was watching it. It was nice to be in a theater watching a movie Yeah, with my wife and, and my mom actually came to. Yeah. So it was fun. I had more fun, though, with the 30-second trailer for the trailer of Dune that played before <laughs> Tenet. So I wasn't, like, actively annoyed or hating the movie as it went. When I thought about it afterwards, I really didn't like it at all. And I knew I wasn't loving it, but I, I, I don't want to overstate my case. I don't want to say I sat there loathing it because I didn't. I'm going to have some hard words for this movie, but I, the best I can give it is that... It's it, a decent time at the movies. It, it passed pleasantly yeah. enough, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay.
1: I feel mostly the same. One reason it's fun to watch Christopher Nolan movies, even though I really I find the more Hollywood goes on, the less I like Christopher Nolan movies, even ones that I once enjoyed.
0: Yeah, Or, same thought,
1: here. or thought like, man, that's, that's a good movie. Now, I really, I don't know that there might be one of his movies I think, yeah, that is a good movie. I've, I've seen everything except Interstellar, funnily enough. It's funny because I like sci-fi. I don't know why I haven't watched Interstellar, maybe because it's long and it's a Christopher Nolan movie.
0: Yeah, and I've seen everything but Dunkirk. Have you seen the Following? No. It's black and white. Actually so that seen, I've actually seen. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so I've seen a lot of Christopher Nolan. I mean, I've been basically a fan for a while. And you I, saw
0: Memento around the time it came out, and I
1: think so. I mean, I saw it. I can't remember if I saw it in the theater or on video. I feel like deep video, but but you've been aware of him, yeah, through the course yeah, of his yeah, career. Yep, yep, and... I read, I read like articles in Film Quarterly about mm-hmm. Memento, or one article It was a really cool article, and I, I so Memento. Spoiler alert: Memento is the one Christopher Nolan movie I think is is a, actually quite a good movie, and I don't know if. It's been 10 years, I'm sure, since I've seen it. Would that opinion hold up if I went
0: back? I don't know. Well, the argument that I would make for Memento is that it's reduced to just being a puzzle box, which is what Christopher Nolan likes and what he's okay at, if I can be a real snow. yeah, It never tries to be anything well, more I, than what it is. Well, I, I think... Well, okay. Here's here's what I think of Memento, and we
1: will we will get back around to tenet. <laughs> yeah. But Memento is is the only film of his where the puzzle box grows organically with the characters. Right. And the characters are not warm, they're cold, they're mean, mm-hmm. they're petty. But to me, I buy them. I buy them, I buy the way that, that the movie is like basically
0: a, a portrait of one dude in right. his self-deception. Well, it's telling us very small contained story and the character, grows organically out of what the puzzle is and or That's the puzzle right. grows organically out, out of what the character That's is right i'm not sure wh- which right. came first the chicken or the egg yeah yeah but in all other nolan movies it's like
1: the puzzle eats the characters yeah
0: well a good example would be inception there's nothing inherent to that movie there's this whole thing it's been a long time since i've seen inception but mm-hmm. the whole gimmick of the movie is that Leonardo DiCaprio lost his wife and he's he wants to get her back and she's like lurking waiting for him or in dreams and all this stuff. There's nothing about that that feels organic to the character. It feels like we just had a plot thing that we needed to happen and so we sort of worked backwards to put all the correct pieces in place. And that's often how it feels in Christopher Nolan movies. Interstellar felt that way. The Dark Knight, all the Batman movies. It's like people are behaving oddly or making weird choices or or doing things because we had this design, this construction that we had to adhere to.
1: Right. Often that, that design, like his puzzle boxes are related to themes. Like he's interested in how do you tell the difference between dreams and reality? Right. And then he makes a movie about dreams. It's like an engineering version of dreams with these bizarre rules that, that mean that the dreams the characters have, they have nothing to do actually with dreams, like zero, because none of your dreams ever have a structure and a format and bodyguards, dream yeah, bodyguards. Yeah, they, they, so, don't, they
0: don't feel like James Bond movies. And,
1: and, so, and so it's like he wants to be able to say, well, I'm gonna make a, a fantasy version of my own fantasy version of dreams. Mm-hmm. And then I'm gonna be able to, to use that to ask these deep questions. And I think, I never felt like your movie once engaged me on a human level about what reality is or why I should care about it. I just feel like you like puzzles and you made a puzzle with this dream theme
0: unrelated to the actual world of dreams. It's interesting that you haven't seen Interstellar. I think you'd agree with me if you had. Interstellar is the most egregious example of that where there's things that he's building to thematically that require the characters to actually betray themselves and to act in ways that are offensively different than they've been set up there's directions that well i'll just say it spoiler alert for a movie that's 10 years old now Uh, 10 years old or or whatever it is mcconaughey abandoning his daughter at the end of that movie is offensive it doesn't make any sense it works for this larger thematic thing that nolan's building but what it doesn't do is take into account human nature or how McConaughey's character would actually behave or how us as an audience, we as an audience would want McConaughey's character to behave. There's there's just a lot of things like that in Christopher Nolan. Oftentimes his movies will seem like they make more sense than they actually do. I mean, you can famously find all the people tearing the plots apart on the internet of Dark Mm -hmm, Knight and mm -hmm. Dark Knight Rises and stuff like that. It's like people say Nolan movies reward multiple viewings. I, I think that they punish multiple viewings uh, I totally agree it's like the first time you can kind of just enjoy it and be swept along by yeah. the thudding soundtrack and the spectacle of it all but
1: well he, i mean he has uh, uh let's see <laughs> he has some sh- chutzpah how do you say that chutzpah Hutz- yeah, i think he has some chutzpah as a fil- as a filmmaker because he's gonna like go for something giant mm-hmm. he's gonna go for an insane amount of storytelling in two hours or three hours right and And he's going to go like super large scale. He's going to push it. He's going to try to integrate practical and digital effects. Like it is impressive in that sense. And so I think that's why like I'll watch a Nolan movie, even if I know I'm not going to like Tenet. Mm -hmm. I knew that already. So I'm sorry, that does sound snobbish, but I just knew from seeing it, like this is another puzzle box. It's not going to make me care about any of the characters. It's not going to make me care about the theme even. It's just going to be kind of a loud, interesting puzzle box. Mm -hmm. And so I felt irritated, but I was like, yeah, I do want to see it because I I like watching giant puzzle boxes with big budgets. I I I like it.
0: Yeah. But the weird thing about that aspect of Nolan's filmography is that it always feels to me like his films run parallel to actual cinema in a weird way. Yeah, Like, for example, there's some special effects sequences in this movie that are cool that I'm sure he did practical practically, but they don't seem to take into account the, the amount of special effects spectacle that we've seen in the last 20 years. I mean, there's a car that does a flip backwards in this right. movie and we're supposed to be impressed by that. And it's like, I've seen a lot of cars do a lot of backwards flips. Yeah.
1: Um, well, okay. I, I actually, I, I feel like I can here here's my devil to that, mm. which is not the devil. I think actually this is fair. I would say, the one thing that Tenet, I mean, how do I not get into spoilers here? The reason that's cool in mm-hmm. Tenet is not because it's an awesome effect that you haven't seen or even a, a scale of things. Like the car chase is actually pretty small scale, right? Right? Even compared to the Dark Knight, which right. has that truck flipping. And that was a new thing. It was really cool. Yeah, that was I, cool. still, I still like that. Yeah, I like that scene. But this, it's like, yeah, you're right. We've seen this a million times, but what's cool about it is the idea of what's happening in the scene. That's the only thing that Nolan cares about, actually.
0: Yeah, which, is, which giant budget scenes. is weird because he doesn't usually, I mean, I'm sorry to be a snob, but he doesn't usually edit them in a way that makes it as, ex- as exciting as it could be. He doesn't usually You show. are
1: a snob. Well, no, I'm, perfect I, I, example. I'm the same snob.
0: Dark Knight Rises begins with this scene where Bane hijacks an airplane or something. And it's like an airplane is catching an airplane in midair. And people are falling. I don't even remember exactly what the casita is. Like maybe an airplane eats another airplane or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did it all practically. And they advertised how they were doing it practically. And you could see little news reports and from the set things. And be like, we're actually doing this. And okay, fair enough. But it didn't feel, in the way that it was communicated on screen, it like, there, special like there was that much more that was special about this than your average scene like that okay. in a movie.
1: Well, okay, I can. I want to bring up a, a similar example, not from a Nolan movie, which is, and this is true for the last two Mission Impossible films, where I can't even re- remember the titles now. There's Fallout. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, and then there's the one before Fallout, Regency. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's they they were advertising these giant practical effects scene like in in, in MI five. Mm-hmm. The opening scene is Tom Cruise strapped, hanging he's, on. He's the, hanging onto a plane, and he was really doing it. Yeah. And I think, man, that is such a cool idea, and so cool to read about. And then when I watch it, it's like this scene is okay, it's
0: fine. I mean, I'm sorry to it's, be it's like, like a decent bored by having great spectacle and money thrown at me and stuff. It's like I sh- I feel like there's a certain sense in which I should be grateful for it, but it's like. They can fake that pretty well, which means I've seen it a lot, actually. And so the fact that Tom Cruise is just doing it for real, in my head, I can kind of intellectually assent to the fact that that's awesome, but it's not that much different than watching Daniel Craig do it when it's faked.
1: Yeah, no, it's not in the Daniel Craig movies. They'll have more pizzazz, which is what you want from the scene. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. What you want is to be, you want to feel excited as a viewer. You don't want to feel excited that you ought to feel excited because it's a practical effect.
0: Exactly. I would rather see a scene that uses CGI in a wise way to make it, which, okay, I don't like CGI overkill any better than anyone else, but a scene that uses a little CGI to massage things and give me the right shot or the right angle or make it that much cooler is a million times better than a scene where they couldn't quite get it right because they were doing it practically. That's why Ghost Protocol is still the most fun Mission Impossible movie. Oh, sorry, which one's Ghost Protocol? That's, is the latest that's, one. That's
1: number four. No, that's number four. That's, that's Brad, Brad Bird. Bird. Yeah,
0: because Brad Bird actually has a sense of how to film these things. That's
1: right, and to make it funny and scary. And I'm not saying that uh, I forgot his name. Who filmed Five and Six? Uh,
0: MacQuarie. Christopher MacQuarie
1: actually does too. He's pretty good at those things, but he's but Brad Bird is a little better.
0: Yeah, the the scene where Tom Cruise is climbing the building. Oh man! Um, in Ghost Protocol, it's killer. It's killer, but it's not just killer because... It's practical. It's practical because Tom Cruise was really on the building. It's killer because of the way it's shot, because of the way that the suspense is built, because of the conceits, the little glove starts to go out, and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, It makes you feel it in a way that Tom Cruise hanging on to the plane at the beginning of Mission Impossible 5, I think it is. Yep. Eh, you don't really feel it. You just don't feel it, because they only had certain shots that they could get of... There's another sequence like that in the sixth mission. There's been six missions. Yeah, there's been six now. Where Tom Cruise did a real aerial jump from way up high. And it's really cool to know that Tom Cruise is doing it. Yeah. But in that case, they actually fixed enough of it with CGI that even though you know (laughs) intellectually it's not a CGI scene, it really feels like a CGI scene. It really
1: does. It feels more like it than that. I've brought... Long, long ago, in a Galaxy Far Away, on Saturday at the movies, I brought up the Iron Man three mm-hmm. plane jumping scene where he rescues people from an exploding plane. Yeah, which is in the a air. cool scene. That's CGI, right, or is it? Is well, that practical.
0: Sp- Iron Man is CGI, but the people that are falling are actually I couldn't skydivers. Remember. I got with this persons. wrong when I
1: brought it up then too. Yeah. So, but that's well, a good example of
0: integrating CGI and practical because and... it feels real. Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> Funnily enough.
0: Yeah, I mean, my favorite kinds of things, like the best action movie of the last 20 years is probably Mad Max Fury Road. And they really did a lot of that. They also sweetened it with CGI. Mm-hmm. It's fun to know that they were really out in the desert with thousands of trucks, that they amassed a, a mini army <laughs> to do it. Right. It's also fun, though, because it's really well shot and edited and conceived. And
1: and, and it never feels like it's taking – It's it feels like it's actually doing storytelling work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is something that Nolan – is actually trying to do that he's trying to make all of his action scenes be storytelling but he's just not
0: good at it right well i think he really thinks of himself as an old school filmmaker i mean he obviously does he talks about this and he gives interviews and things he wants to go back to the era of the spectacle movies you know the roadshow movies oh we filmed ben-hur and we really staged a real chariot race and the guy actually fell under the wheels and gra- and held on. And we got that, you know, it's like some of that showmanship is right. what he wants to bring back. And he wants to get away from, we had Robert Downey Jr. standing on a green screen and then we animated it all later. I have some respect for that, but you still have to tell a story and you still have to conceive of a, a good scene. Uh, probably. I think the most successful Christopher Nolan action scene is that truck chase in the dark Knight, And if you actually break that scene down into its component parts it's pretty badly edited it's Mm -hmm. pretty hard to tell what the geography is yeah and it's got that truck flip and a couple things but there's not actually that much that's good right about that scene what's good about that scene is that there's high stakes and Mm -hmm. it's a really exciting cool part of the movie and harvey dents in the back of the truck and batman's protecting him from the joker who's been built up as a real menace and then it ends with some real emotional push and pull between these two characters with the Joker saying, I want you to do it. And Batman's not able to do it, which has real emotional stakes and real character stakes in a way yeah. that something like almost all the other Nolan action scenes. Well, I still
1: remember, I think on like probably the fifth viewing of The Dark Knight, because mm-hmm. I definitely saw it too many times. And it. it, it I, I mean, I probably saw it all the way through three times. and And I think... After the third time, it was like, man, this is enough of this movie. Like, mm-hmm. that's enough. So, I remember f- figuring out, no, this this might even have been like watching that truck chase scene on YouTube. Right. I finally figured out that that guy in one of the trucks in the scene, who's like a SWAT guy, but he has on his helmet, and the camera focuses on him, and it's like, wait, who is this guy? I finally figured out that... That's Commissioner Gordon Yeah, takes off the helmet at the end. And for some reason, I never put that together. And I think, yeah, I'm dense sometimes, but also that's Nolan's fault.
0: Yeah, no, it really is. Like,
1: how in the world could I not put that together? It's so obvious. Well, it's your job as a storyteller to help even a dense person like me figure out that this guy, this conspicuous person with, with a helmet on who never says anything is the guy who takes the helmet off. And oh, surprise, it's Commissioner Gordon is alive, you know.
0: In in the in the big reveal, yes. Which means you have to set up that character. You have to do it just subtly enough that people don't say, "Oh, hey, it's Commissioner Gordon," but also draw enough attention to him. There's ways that yeah. cinema has developed to do these things. Um, also, if you just watch that scene, folks, you'll and you actually pay attention to it. Hard to figure out why certain cars flip at certain times and what's happening. Like for somebody yeah. that loves that kind of spectacle and advertises his movies based on that kind of spectacle christopher nolan's just not very good at it or his sense of it is different than mine is at least like he wants to do these bizarre cutaways and not just he i will admit he's gotten a lot better at it over the years dark or batman begins was egregious those are some of the worst action scenes uh. in a major tentpole film well it, i've it, ever seen
1: yeah, they are, but his idea of them is that they're good because he has a good idea of them. Well, of course, you're going to edit really fast because Batman is fast and furious and no one can tell what's going on. And so I should edit this in a way such that you feel like Batman is beating you
0: up. Yeah, but as <laughs> You can't
1: tell what's going on. As
0: you've often pointed out when I've gone on the attack against the legacy, no pun intended, of those Born ah. movies, you've said, well, Nathan, Greengrass, the guy that directed the Born sequels, he actually knows how to do that. He knows how to cut together he knows how to throw a bunch of footage in a blender, pull out the tiny little pieces. That's right. And then put them together in a way that has coherence and sense and excitement to it. That's right. And you're absolutely right. What what I don't like about what the Bourne movies did is everybody that thought oh. that they could then do the same Action thing. Action
1: in a blender. And most, most people cannot do that. And most and I'd even say most of the time, it's better that you don't.
0: yeah well it's an easy thing it's a thing that people are tempted to do i think because or they were in a certain era it seems like we've thankfully gotten away from it but they were tempted because i think you can make an actor look like they know how to do action without having to have them train quite as much yeah you can take some joe schmo guy who's not an action star and in the editing room with sound effects mostly is how those scenes work actually Mm -hmm make it seem like he's beating up three or four guards, but he didn't actually have to learn the choreography very well. But it's like, no, it's fun. It was fun to know that Fred and Ginger could really dance. It was fun to know that Jackie Chan could really kick and jump. And if Matt Damon wants to be an action star, then he needs to learn how to do it. Right. And I'm all for, you know, if Christian Bale doesn't want to be an action star, that's fine. Either don't hire him for Batman or just put a stunt guy in that bat suit who can do the stuff. I mean, there's, there's ways around it.
1: Well, see, see, that's the thing too. Maybe, I guess it's an irony, is that Christian Bale is the kind of actor who's going to absolutely learn how to fight like Batman and be faster than you thought he could be. And then Christopher Nolan will, will, will show him fighting as Batman in such a way that you can't see him fight. Because Christopher Nolan likes practical effects and Christian Bale... Is like a hardcore. What call it? What's the what's the acting school? The method actor. Yeah. yeah, he's like a hardcore. He'll starve himself for a role right. yeah, where he exactly. plays a starving person. Right. You know, to the level of grossness. That's a literal
0: example that Ben just gave.
1: It's a literal example remember. from yeah. a movie I never saw. Yeah, but
0: well, I guess we got. So there's our they, thoughts on Christopher they, Nolan. They, yeah, man, he, he really is one of the most frustrating modern tentful filmmakers and it, frustrating precisely because he has ambition you know it's not that yeah. i'm not that frustrated by the russo brothers for example i am frustrated by them but because they're kind of lame. it's like they're they were always kind of lame they do their job christopher nolan obviously is trying he wants to do something he wants to be distinctive he wants to hand tackle big themes he wants to be the thinking man's sci-fi action guy absolutely and i love and i hate i mean i i love a lot of sci-fi trash but i i want to have the thinking man's action guy i love thinking man's yeah action stories thinking i i love genre pieces that are fully genre but also done with just a little bit more style just a little bit more thought that's that's like my sweet spot and so it's frustrating that that's christopher nolan's sweet spot but he's (laughs) so bad at it (laughs) i mean honestly yeah yeah,
1: well, I, th- I think here, I can bring this back around to Tennant by yes. just saying everything we've said about his love of puzzle boxes. And an- another, way, another way to put this is Christopher Nolan will give you, if he's going to give you human drama, what he'll do is he'll give you a very thematic movie mm-hmm. that's about deep human things. Right. And, but, and he'll know how to give you the concepts and to make kind of this complicated skeleton. Here's a movie about fear. You know, Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. All about fear and how you overcome fear, which is a real human thing. And cool. You want to make a movie about that? That's cool. It's a skeleton with very little human flesh. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to make uh, The Prestige, which some people say is great. or has, I've never wanted to see it again. I don't like it at all. And that's a movie about like obsession, all kinds of things related to obsession and having a legacy. And you, you could might blame it on the novel that it's based on because the novel is kind of like the movie in some ways. And, but Nolan loves that. Mm-hmm. Like this big story with these, with these guys having this giant explicit battle about their legacy as magicians. Right. And they're hiding things from each other and they're hiding things from you as the audience and they're obsessed with legacy and art. And the movie has all of these big themes about what how do you be great Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't connect it to me emotionally
0: yeah well it's like most people don't walk around saying what they're motivated by they're just motivated by it and i've i've very thin patience for the kinds of stories where people are explicitly battling over themes that they are talking yeah about the reason the Dark Knight kind of works is because with a character as arch and over the top as the Joker, you have an excuse for the people to just explicitly talk about the thematic material of the movie. You know, the Joker can say, "I took Gotham's White Knight and I yeah pushed him." I don't know. Sure, but most characters can't do that. And you watch—I mean, you'd have a field day watching Interstellar. People are—I think she actually says the fourth dimension is love or something like that right which is the theme of the movie right. it's like <laughs> nobody would say that that's or an idiot would say that but <laughs> you know like we'll, you don't talk about love i don't, you love people
1: well and and on the other hand if you do want to be that brazen with your themes in a movie you actually have to bring the feels mm-hmm. like there is a way i think that you could have a script where a character says the fourth dimension is love and it's like hey guess what we're cheesy and over the top. But we're also going to make you care and feel and almost make you feel like I'm allowed to say the fourth dimension is loving this movie because I made you care so much. I'm just a big, cheesy, flashy movie. But Nolan is going to make you feel like he's both subtle and over the top and he's restrained and intellectual mm-hmm. and conceptual. And then he's
0: going to have a character say things like that. And I don't know.
1: I should see Interstellar. Maybe I changed my mind, listener.
0: Yeah, I will say there's a scene in Interstellar where he does what you're, doing, what you're saying really well. He, oh, okay. He, well, great. Sh- he shows instead of tells. It's where, spoil it, McConaughey goes down on a planet where, because of the gravitational pull and blah, 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 science, time passes much faster. So he's on the planet for an hour. When he gets back to the spaceship, years have gone by for the people that were orbiting around the planet. He gets back. The guy that was waiting for him is now an old man. And he turns on videos of transmissions from his daughter and watches her grow up from a little girl to an adult and sees all these you know years worth of transmissions and just sobs and it's really powerful scene wow but you're going to combine that with you know then Anne hathaway is going to come in and give a big speech about how the fourth dimension is love (laughs) 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 and it's like you had it you had it over here you didn't have to tell me about it you already so there's some good things in an interstellar i'd say there's always some good things to give nolan credit there's Yep. There's almost always good things in his movies. There's always, always little scenes and snatches of dialogue or thematic material.
1: But does Tenet have good things like that? I mean, I, we, so we brought up yeah, the yeah, friendship. Yeah, we're supposed
0: to be talking about Tenet here.
1: Yeah, we, we, we brought up the friendship between the two leads. And that, I think, is the one part that made me feel anything.
0: Yeah, Tenet, I would say Tenet is probably Christopher Nolan's worst. Uh, hmm. Just to give the quick non-spoiler review before we go into spoilers First in Inception? See, I don't know. I feel like I'd watched Tenet before I watched Inception again. Well, here's what Inception had. Inception had a clearly devised and explained puzzle box. You knew where you were in the story of Inception. You knew what they were trying to do. They explained, this is what, what did they call it when they got out of Dreams? Jumping or whatever. They, right. like they said, they, they explained Like Basically, that whole movie was just Thomas Hardy and people walking around explaining what the rules of Inception were. That, in and of itself, I would say, as lame as it is, and it is lame, has a lot more intrinsic interest than this movie, which oftentimes bypasses the rules or is subtle about the rules or just doesn't care that much about the rules or takes a long time to get to the rules. Inception was all rules, and at least the rules Mm. were vaguely kind of entertaining to learn. Yeah, they were. This movie shuffles past the rules quickly at the beginning. Ah, here's the rules. And then gets to the rules at the end again. But there's a long stretch where you just don't really know. the. There's just a, the first two-thirds of this movie are pretty boring, I would say.
1: There's a lot of crime drama stuff happening, but and it's so
0: generic. It's really generic, and there's nothing that particularly brings it to life. I mean, you, people have compared this to a James Bond movie at least a James Bond movie would have <laughs> bad puns and colorful characters. And there's a lot oh, of things man. that a bad James Bond movie, you know, the worst of the Roger Moore era would do effortlessly better <laughs> than this movie in terms of capturing your interest. It would have That's a- right. actual jokes. Maybe they'd be bad, but they'd be there. Yep. It would have characters that were colorful. It would have.
1: It would push its villain uh, over the top in the right way.
0: Yeah. This movie pushes them over the top in a, bad
1: way well this this villain is simply Kenneth Branagh being asked to chew the scenery harder and harder which Kenneth Branagh will do for you but that doesn't mean he's going to make a compelling character
0: yeah he's also he's just written to be unpleasant and unpleasant and generic generically unpleasant you know like the Joker obviously not a pleasant character but a fun character for the audience to spend time with actually like a, a scary character uh unpleasant character but someone who has some wit and some style and some intrinsic interest you want to watch him you want to watch those scenes with him yeah Kenneth Branagh brings none of that it's not Branagh's fault I think it's the script's fault no it's the script's fault Um, Branagh's capable of doing a lot but this character is just written as an unpleasant abusive to women thug and it's just no fun to spend time with him it's not entertaining you know that's why I keep thinking about James Bond bad bad guys they're 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 equally reprehensible characters but they're fun. They have hooks for hands and
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> plans of world domination and stuff like that. Yeah, like metal teeth. Yeah, metal teeth. Like this this guy's just it's not fun. There's a real dearth of fun in this movie, I would say. For for the subject matter. It takes itself awfully seriously. Yeah. And I know that that's what Christopher Nolan always does, but
1: well, he he really thinks he's going to emotionally connect with us through the story of the evil villain's poor battered wife. Right chose the wrong husband and now they you know spoilers they have a son and she wants she wishes she could take the son and run but he's she's under his thumb and you know the main character is very sympathetic for her and she's like kind of the love interest that he doesn't really have Mm -hmm. because she's not really a love interest but she like almost is or kind of is but not really yeah she's just she's just sympathetic but honestly as a character she's very unsympathetic and she's no fun to spend time with and I don't want to watch a plot about her.
0: Yeah, she's just portrayed as cold. I mean, there's there's any number of easy ways they could have made it work. She could have been yep. warm and lovable. And then Kenneth Branagh wouldn't have had, he could have been half the thug and you would have hated him twice as much because right. he would actually be threatening somebody that we liked.
1: No, instead she just feels like she wishes she could be a proper feminist or something like that. Or like, I don't know, when I watched the movie, I felt like. Nolan wishes she could be a proper feminist, but instead she's stuck being a damsel in distress that you don't care about.
0: Well, and I think that that's what kind of offended me about how brutal and nasty they made Branagh's character. It felt like they did that precisely because they couldn't just make her vulnerable. Hmm. You know, If we're writing the script 50 years ago, the woman, because she's the woman, is obviously going to be very vulnerable. And so the villain hardly has to do anything at all to be Mm -hmm. a real threat but she's gonna be icy and competent and self-possessed. Self-possessed. She's gonna be all these things. She's
1: gonna be cold and diffident and-
0: Calculating. And and so then we have to amp up Branagh's cruelty to to levels that just aren't fun to watch. No, and this movie had, well, it felt pretty mean at a lot of points. Yeah, it really did. And actually, I always feel bad for bad guys. I remember there's a short story by the author H.L. Hartley where a character, a a villain comes alive and accuses his author, shows up on his author's doorstep wanting to murder him. And the conceit of the story is that the villain is just angry with the author because he's like, you never gave me a good attribute. You never gave me any dimensionality. You just just took everything that you hated and you poured it into me, <laughs> and that was so lazy, <laughs> and, and I'm here to make you pay for it, <laughs> and I sort of actually feel the same sympathy for a villain like this, like at the end, the Brent all right, we're getting into spoilers now, so spoiler alert all right at the end, Brena is really coldly dispatched, and it's like you just wrote this guy in a way that by,
1: by his angry, vengeful wife,
0: yeah and 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 it's like you needed to have her, you wanted to have a moment where she coldly dispatched him. You didn't want the audience to feel any sympathy for him, and so you just sort of backfilled it so that he was bad enough that we could feel okay about that. And that's disingenuous and it's lazy. It's actually not as interesting. If she has to kill this guy for plot reasons that we feel even a shred of sympathy for, I think that that might make an, a more interesting movie that goes deeper into uh, Nolan's he, themes.
1: Or how humans actually work. I, I liked her even less when she killed her husband because I thought, you're just a nasty, vengeful person you're well just, you're, also you're, you're you're just petty and dumb, even if you she's know, horribly
0: petty, given the rules of this movie because she is willing to put not just her friends at risk but the entire existence of the world, past and present guess, at risk, so she can not not so that she can that's get right. her revenge, but so that he'll know she's getting her revenge
1: that's right, that's right it's just it's just to prove herself it's like self actualization it's like standing up to abuse, it's a really stupid tacked on. Like old school feminist kind of a theme, right? Like second wave, first yeah, wave, yeah. Yeah, it's
0: know. it's really bad. I mean it's just stupid. Self actualization through violence is a, a nebula uh an issue that I'm not sure how I feel about in movies at all. But it's a hoary old cliche that young men should be self actualized through violence in movies, and I have some sympathy for that, but movies where women are self actualized.
1: because men have to fight.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so story where Nicolas Cage grabs the gun to help out Sean Connery finally in The Rock or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. But there's something ugly about seeing it with a woman.
1: Yeah, it was ugly. It did make me feel a little bad for the villain. Now that you mention it, I kind of forgotten that I did feel that, but...
0: Well, Branagh actually is a sympathetic guy and he brings, just with his presence, a little bit of extra... Like, oh, this guy really is kind of depressed. and <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's why he wants to destroy and... <laughs> the whole world and, and himself.
0: Which is interesting, you know? I mean, here's an idea, Nolan. Write that character. Branagh came ready to play. Give him something to play. Don't just make him a thug.
1: Yeah. Anyway, we're yeah. in
0: spoiler territory, so I guess we can talk freely about yeah. this movie now. Sure, sure. I mean, I feel like we've, we've done a lot of the work already. <laughs> well, here's, but... here's what I want to say. Nolan's movie's would be fine or i would i would be much less offended by them and this one in particular if it wasn't for the disconnect between what he achieves and what he aims at and how he presents himself you mm-hmm. know in other words we could sit here and pick apart the laziness of the clichés and the badness of the action scenes it's all this all the stuff that we'll pick apart it's like if the movie was aiming lower I could watch a Terminator sequel or something like that that had yeah. a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the same laziness, a lot of the same bad characters and bad stuff uh, and be like it's fine. It's Terminator sequel. But the fact that Nolan explicitly presents himself as, as a master filmmaker as a master filmmaker and as the thinking man sci-fi action guy it's like no. You are not the thinking man's sci-fi action guy. These these ideas are old. They these ideas happen every third episode of Star Trek generation, the next generation. (laughs) Nothing about this is new. Nothing about this is interesting. I don't need characters saying, actually, we've already met or all the trailer lines, you know, it's not time, it's inversion. It's like, we've seen this. And if you just want to be cliched, if you just want to make Time Cop, if you just want to make Terminator, I'm fine with that. But the idea that you're actually doing the same things that a Time Cop, a Terminator or a Bill and Ted will do, and then you're going to pretend like there's something yeah. profound or something interesting.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, maybe we should just list out some of the themes this yes. movie wants to play with. I mean, obviously there's, and I don't begrudge him this at all. He's interested in stuff like, I mean, I guess he's interested in stuff like dreams, if that's what Inception is. He's definitely interested in physics. Like mm-hmm. he's interested in time, in different theories of time and time paradox. Fun, cool. I, like, I, I know Nathan doesn't like time travel movies that much. That kind of plot tends to annoy him from what I remember, but I don't mind that stuff even if it's stupid because it can make me feel an emotional connection because our memories are like time travel, right? Well, you don't have to press that hard. Let me just say
0: my my favorite time travel movie of all time, and maybe it doesn't hold up and maybe it's got gross stuff. It's been years since I've seen it, but 12 Monkeys has a wonderful closed loop time traveling conceit does. and the way that the loop closes at the end is
1: uh hits you in the gut
0: gives me chills as I think about it right now and is it's really sad and emotional and wonderful and you you can kind of see it coming yeah I think when you watch the movie but it's just it's uh, wonderful. Yeah it gets you. On the other side of the spectrum, you can sit here and p- pick apart something like Back to the Future and how it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It's fun. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm fine with Back to the Future being fun where time travel tends to bother me is in things like harry potter for example where we're supposed to take this universe relatively seriously and then they have a device that could just solve all their problems and bring back every freddy from the dead and they choose not to use it for some reason that's just waved. that kind of <laughs> thing bugs me yeah if you're going to tell a serious time travel story tell a serious time travel story if you're going to tell a not serious time travel story That's fine, too. You just
1: have to know which one you're telling. Yeah,
0: and I don't... It's one of those tropes that it really bugs me when they split the difference. You know, when they think that they're being profound, but they haven't thought it through. Yeah. Or when they try to just wave it away. Like, even Endgame, I think, bugs me a little bit. I mean, Endgame, I think, positions itself more as we're just doing fun, stupid time travel. Don't think about it too hard, which is fine, but... Marvel's usually consistent and serious enough and there's enough other elements that we're supposed to take seriously in the yeah, movie. That they, they were lazy. They, they, were, were sloppy. If they shouldn't have been lazy with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Well, but what other, so time travel is like a, a like a plot theme, like a physics theme, but mm-hmm. what about the, the human themes in this movie? Like there are deep human things he wants to at least name drop. Right. As things he's trying to talk to you about. Which are? I mean, there's fate.
0: Mm-hmm yeah it's like fate
1: causality free will free will
0: will. yeah i mean
1: maybe that's it maybe we're done
0: well it certainly doesn't have any big hook like like interstellar actually was about the nature of love the dark knight was about the nature of anarchy about the justice i mean dark knight had something to say you could watch it watch it in today's climate with blm and all that and you'd, you'd feel like you were watching something that was somewhat prescient yeah i'm not saying it's deep but at least it begins to dig into something this movie almost weirdly for nolan didn't seem like it was trying that hard with that stuff felt like he wanted to throw out some buzzwords have robert pattinson's character say some things about fate but yeah right They almost felt incidental
1: they did perfunctory
0: Um, until the very end when spoiler alert we get a nice conceit which is that pattinson already knew washington washington i mean again I'm annoyed that Nolan's acting like this is new or surprising right. or profound because this has been in a million movies and TV shows and <laughs> stories and things. It's a cliche, but the idea that actually, even though from Washington's point of view, he just met Pattinson, they have a long history, and right. Pattinson because time travel because time travel and Washington actually hired Pattinson, and so all so so
1: so he's going to hire him in Washington's future,
0: which is Pattinson's past. Yeah, and in Washington's. Timeline: Pattinson is dead, or about to go die. He's
1: about to go die, and he, he's very sad when he realizes he's going to lose his best friend who he just met.
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> in a his perspective. That's a nice conceit. Make that make a movie about that. You know, deal with that. Mm-hmm. Do something with it. Don't just use it as garnish at the end of your yeah. movie. Let's find that out halfway through, and then deal with it. In fact, let's make the let's boil down everything that happens in this movie into about an hour, and then let's have the next hour where all the interesting stuff happens that it feels like we were just kind of getting to.
1: Well, uh, yeah, there's that. And then when I think about a theme of like free will and fate and stuff, I think if you want to make me feel anything having to do with such an abstraction in a movie, there are movies that are very good at making you feel like, you know, fatalism. Mm -hmm. Everything's faded and you can't escape. Right. Movies like that are usually not the kind of movies you go back to because they take your mind to bad places. Then there's movies that, I think Nolan, if he really actually cared to press on our experience of feeling like cogs in a machine, mm-hmm. he'd have to be not so good at making a movie where everything feels like a cog in a machine, first yeah, of all. Me. But he would just make us feel like the main character actually has an investment in that question, right? Which first is, of is
0: which is the kind of thing that sc- screenwriters do all the time. And usually they have very easy ways of doing it, even lazy ways of doing it. It's yeah. weird. And Nolan, maybe to his credit, sometimes it's weird like he'll lean into certain cliches but then he won't just do certain obvious things like a lot of times if you know like a donnie darko or something like that there's some loved person that you're trying to save or something like yeah you know there's a child or a woman or something like that you want to stop the cogs of fate from swallowing them. them up yep and so okay steven spielberg steven spielberg's never above just doing the thing to make you connect with the material. And so Schindler's list isn't just about the Holocaust, the machines of the Holocaust turning. He's going to show you a little girl in a red dress. And it's really obvious. It's corny even. Oh, there's a little cute girl in a red dress and she's the one that's going to be eaten up by the Holocaust. But it's also, but it's powerful. It makes you cry. Like there's, there's investment. He knows that it can't just be random things happening to random people. Mm-hmm. We need a point of connection. Yeah. And Nolan sometimes almost seems diffident or uh, what's the word? It's like he really doesn't want to do that. He, if he finds it annoying that he should have to do it.
1: Uh, yeah, he does. It's also like he doesn't know how. It's yeah. like, I'm going to have Sir Michael Caine have a brief scene at lunch. Everyone likes Michael Caine. He's a great actor. And the conceit of this scene is that he's Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. And he's eating things. He's, 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 he's talking well. He chooses his food. And so his voice is kind of muffled.
0: It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And that's your point of connection. I mean, th- that really is it. Like, Well, and you're losing valuable time that you could spend having Robert Pattinson eat a sandwich and be charming and do the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, you really are.
0: I mean, th- this movie is weird. One of the places where it's, it's not as good as Interstellar or Inter- Inception or the Batman movies is it doesn't give you a first act where the parameters are clear where the characters are clear, where it's clear who Washington's character is, what his motivations are. We have to spend a long time kind of putting the pieces together for ourselves. And it's like, if they just said, he works for the CIA, he really hates his job, or he really likes his if they just gave us those boring scenes, we'd feel a lot more of something, I think. Here's Robert Pattinson. He's a guy that he but instead it's all done cryptically in code with the soundtrack overpowering a lot of the dialogue. Nolan
1: really likes the abstraction of it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he does like that. I don't even know if I would say that he doesn't like giving you points of contact. I just think he isn't interested. And I think when he tries to do it, one, when he tries to do it, he doesn't know how. But two, more importantly, he's, he's just not interested. He likes the abstraction better.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, and I, I understand that, actually. I think his point is, you've seen a million holocaust movies with a little a girl in a little red dress you know with the obvious points of connection so let's just bypass that that's boring actually like we don't need to know what the worst scene in a cia movie is the scene back at the office where we set up who the guy is and what his feelings about his job are that's boring we've seen it before we know what it is let's just not do that let's just skip it
1: well except that one, he's wrong. It's not boring if you do it well. And two, if you're not going to do it, you have to have an equivalent scene doing the same thing in a way that you don't expect. Oh, right. it's not back at the office this time. I, I learned all this stuff about the character in this scene instead. Oh, you know, they, that, that was clever. That was a good idea. But you don't get it. Instead, you get a cipher. You get a protagonist who is a cipher. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it's the point that he's a cipher.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean... I think that's explicit in the screenplay. He's right. he's like he says, "I'm the protagonist.
1: I'm he 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 himself is like the heart of the whole time paradox that is the plot of this movie." Right. And that's it. The you know, the buck stops with him. It's like he's the ultimate reality in the movie mm-hmm. and by the end of it. But in a way that doesn't make you care about that ultimate reality any more than it did when you started.
0: It's really hard to connect to a character whose perspective you don't actually have on the material. Washington, we see him in this action scene at the beginning, and then he is getting tortured for some reason by some bad guys. Never really bothers to tie that in too much.
1: Yeah, and then it turns out that the torture was actually set up by some other shadowy organization to test him Mm -hmm. for membership in said organization, and on, on you go.
0: But then he, yeah, he becomes part of the shadowy organization, and a woman comes out, and she gives the first big exposition dump and says... There's time travel, and there's these materials that are working, moving backwards for time, and hold your gun up, and the bullet will shoot back into the gun, because the bullet's moving backwards and stuff. Now, Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, he's going to say, whoa, or he won't even say that. He'll say, whoa. Yeah. That, at least, gives you some perspective on who Neo John Anderson is. Well, actually, John David Washington does that exact same thing. Yeah. Well, it's true, and I thought that you might say that. (laughs) But... It's not the same, huh? Well, The Matrix is a really interesting point of comparison. Mm. What The Matrix does, I think, is it leaves its character equally a Cypher, but it puts him in such generic, recognizable, iconic situations that you don't need anything else. He's a computer programmer. We know what that is. And then he's an office drone. We know what that is. Yep. And so even though Keanu Reeves is giving us nothing and the screenplay is intentionally giving us nothing, yeah, We don't need anything. We are solidly anchored in this world.
1: Well, I mean, The uh, the Matrix asks Keanu Reeves to do a couple of things that he can easily do. And one of those is to be really put upon. Mm -hmm. So for the first hour of the movie, he's really put upon enough that
0: you sympathize with him. Right. You're like,
1: what the heck is going on? Like, this guy's terrible things are happening to this guy.
0: And it gives us an angle. Yeah. On the material, we know when to be scared. We know when to be happy. We know when to be excited. When he learns Kung Fu, we know when to be exhilarated. When he makes yeah. the jump or fails to make the jump. Yeah. Washington ha- brings a certain sense of humor to it that wasn't inherent to the material, right. I don't think. But what we don't get is, how does this guy actually feel about learning that there's stuff that's moving backwards? Hmm. Does he really want to save the world? Does he actually care? Is he just doing his job? He's stoic like, yeah, the he, whole time. Yeah. Which, if you're watching The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and Clint Eastwood is stoic, it's like the world is well-defined, and so that the character can be stoic. But yeah. if the world's not well-defined, if we're learning a bunch of stuff about a new world, we need to be solidly anchored with the character. One, one, in one area or another, we need an anchor point. And if the world's not going to be anchored, then it's why characters like Luke Skywalker work relatively well for Star Wars, because <laughs> the character is easy, yeah. and the world is difficult. In this case the world is weird and the character is weird and you can't really find your footing with either one. And so you just don't find your footing. The closest thing you come to finding your footing is when Pattinson shows up because he seems like a cool dude and he seems like a recognizable type, you know, the slightly gay, ironic, sarcastic field agent kind of guy that's seen it all sort of guy. Yeah. That guy, you know, we've seen that guy in enough movies and stuff. We, we, he, he gives us a small anchor point, not enough to really anchor the movie, but at least he gives us an anchor point. Yeah, he does. And then we're off to the races with this convoluted plot and we never really find a reason or I never found a reason to care that much about it.
1: No, I I didn't either. Maybe I'm getting ahead of us, but I'll say the one takeaway I have from this movie that I've been enjoying. Mm Mm-hmm. Is I find myself playing the action scenes back in my mind mm-hmm. and trying to wrap my head around the way that time inverted events are happening at the same time as time normal events right and if you don't understand what I'm saying, just I guess go spend your money maybe on a matinee yeah. and watch the movie i guess and
0: or read and, the, and, read, the read, read the Wikipedia summary, sure save yourself ten bucks
1: well it but the thing is that it is actually fun. In that sense, to watch his visual guzzas, you know, mm-hmm. his his his. <laughs> oh, I I lost it. What's the what's the contraption?
0: Oh, uh, Goldberg Goldberg yeah. Ru- 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 Goldberg contraptions. Goldberg, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. It's in that sense, it's fun because I think unless you're really fast, certainly on a first watch, you can't put together the way that these different time events are happening in the same visual space. Right. And that's, and that's kind of a cool puzzle.
0: That is a cool puzzle, and it's the most successful thing about the movie. But let me talk about the comparison points that I thought of. You remember that scene in Minority Report where Tom Cruise gets the, what are they called, empaths or whatever? He gets oh, the yeah. Samantha Morton yeah, character, yeah. breaks her out of her mm-hmm. goo prison, and then they're running through the mall. Yeah. And, she's, and they're being pursued, and she yeah. keeps telling him that, what to do. What to- to do. And he'll do something and then, you know, he'll knock over some umbrellas and then some guys will slip on him, stuff like that. Right. There's so much wit and inventiveness and fun for the audience in Mm -hmm. all the different things that you could do if you were in a chase scene and you had a character that was just slightly ahead of what was going on. Another point of comparison. Did you ever see uh, the, what was that X-Men movie? X-Men Days of Future Future Past. Past. It's got that lovely scene where the guy that's really fast. Quicksilver, yeah. Quicksilver. He runs around and he's putting the tie in the coffee. It's, yeah, it's like
1: yeah, yeah. moving moving bullets. Moving and, bullets. And, and yeah. then time. T- t- tasting the soup that's hanging in the air while he runs. Yeah, exactly. It.
0: It's like we had a character that could go really fast, and so we just sat down and thought, what's every fun thing that we could do with this? <laughs> Nolan again seems almost angrily unwilling to just have fun with this premise. There, like, there's just, it just feels like a good constructionist, a Spielberg, or, a, or even a Brian Singer, could sit down and just say, what are all the fun little things that we could do with time inversion? What are the little setups and payoffs that we could do? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's not, 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 not even jokes, but just what are the cool action beats? What are the things that we could build in over here? What, what are the moments of delight and aha that we could give to the audience? There's, there's a little bit of that, but not nearly as much as you would expect. No. Given the premise. Not, no. Not as much as I think I paid for when I bought my ticket. No, you
1: know? no, no. Very very true. A lot of it feels like a slog. And it is a slog, actually. There's a really long fight scene where, you know, again, spoiler alerts, it turns out he's fighting himself, you learn, eventually. Were you surprised
0: by that at all, by the way?
1: I don't know. I guess I, I'm, I'm not fast at picking up obvious things like that. So, I figured it out before we got to the scene where he actually comes back and fights himself, right. but... Uh, you know, I didn't figure it out quickly. No, I wasn't surprised. Right. Hey. <laughs> what? I... <laughs> My mind is blown. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but I'm not fast. So so you got that. And even that's kind of a slog. Mm-hmm. It should
0: be awesome. But well, it's a slog. Kind of, like you were saying earlier, the idea in and of itself is cool. It it's is. Just...
1: And you're trying to figure out how to put it together in your mind.
0: Yeah, but we didn't actually. Enjoy it? You, you could imagine how like Spielberg in his prime, just to take yeah. an extreme example. Sure. He'd come up with. Forty different things that the first Washington would do, mm-hmm. and then we would see it from the other Washington's perspective: how he was blocking yeah. them, how he suddenly realized, "Oh, he's going to do this," and then he he did this. Like we'd have some fun with it, one way or another. And Nolan just doesn't like to have fun with things.
1: No, he doesn't have fun. He's too serious. And then, man, that the the final battle scene is just a giant, insane slog. Yeah, that like, was of, really boring. Of like two different army squads going, moving through time in different directions on one crazy battlefield. And it's got all this stuff that should be awesome. Mm-hmm. But man, is it
0: dull. Well, there's like no feeling. You know, it's like if you've seen one building get blown up backwards and reassemble itself, you've seen all the build. It's like.
1: Every color is like black, gray, and tan.
0: Yeah. And there's just not a lot of like i don't know maybe i was tired or something but if there were a lot of moments where you could follow like this team is doing this which means this team has to do that you can't then i was i, I was
1: i was waiting i was like where's the how am i supposed to is he going to help me think about the interplay of their missions and what they're doing
0: mm-hmm. no no not
1: really not really there's just gonna be one team running past things going backwards yeah and the other team running going forwards you're going to see bullets inverting through people and you're going to see buildings uncollapse and then recollapse because yeah. of the weird interplay
0: of inversion and time stuff happening. But you're not going to care. Right. And again, if Nolan didn't pretend like, if the music didn't tell you how important and exciting this all was, if the movie wasn't built in such a pretentious way, maybe I'd be a lot more forgiving of stuff like that. But it's like, if you're going to, Present yourself as the thinking man's action movie, then you need to actually put some thought into how to do this stuff and really make it pop and make it cool and make it interesting. And this movie just wasn't that. (sighs) Man.
1: Yeah, it's a big missed opportunity for all its insane complexity and the obvious expense he went to to make it and the obvious thought he put into it to film
0: it and to make it coherent. It's no fun. It's really no fun. That's the most damning thing to say about it. Like,
1: <laughs> it should at least be fun. Yeah.
0: That should be the baseline, the, with the lowest common denominator. Oh, it has
1: the baseline, Nathan. <laughs> yes, bam, it does. It bam, does bam.
0: Bam. I mean, is there... I'm trying to think of what the else... The baseline is the baseline in Nolan's movie. Really yeah, the amazing. baseline is the baseline. So he doesn't need <laughs> baselines of good characters, a plot that you want to follow. I mean, the other thing I, want, I just want to emphasize is All that inversion stuff, the movie takes forever to get to it. We already said this, but I just want, if anyone's Mm. listening to this to know whether to go see the movie or not, you are going to sit through a lot of this woman and her abusive husband and Washington trying to navigate it all before you even get to the big inversion things. Yep. And I kept thinking in the movie theater, I was thinking like, well, okay, is it going to be half boring setup? And then the second half, we're just going to go backwards through all of this and see how Washington was like manipulating things, everything, which sounds like a cool palindrome conceit for yeah. a movie to me. Yeah, but it does. We don't really get that. We get, it's like you were no. saying about Inception, like it's a movie about dreams. And it turns out that everybody dreams about like Swiss chalets in James Bond movies. Yep. This is kind of the same thing. It's like we can travel backwards and forwards through time and we're going to use that for a flipping car highway.
1: In a a generic looking highway, generic looking uh, cities, completely nondescript boats and battlefields that don't look like any place or anywhere in particular.
0: Yeah. I mean, at least it should have the over the top quality of like a Matrix battle scene or it doesn't have to be Matrix, but something to give it some verve and some life beyond. And
1: color. Speaking of which this movie is not a fan of color. Nolan in general doesn't like color. IMO. No. But, yeah, he... but this movie is egregiously bad. I guess, you know, maybe it's not any worse than Inception come to it. But yeah. it's I feel like there might have been a little bit more color in Inception.
0: There's a lot of those blue tinted kind of things which uh, is just a it gets old. cliche of it's modern. It's not fun to look at. Again, it's like we're going to do. We're gonna give you the same thrills that a James Bond movie would, but we're going to drain all the joy out of them. We're going to these exotic locations, and yeah. we're having big, wide-open shots, and there's a few of them that are cool. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be there are a few. too yeah. much of a jerk, but a lot yeah. of them, it's just like, how can we shoot this and literally drain the color out of it, drain the joy out of mm-hmm. it, shoot it in a shot that makes it look not right. that pretty?
1: Yeah, it's pretty awful. As we talk about it, the more I think, yeah, it's it's worse than I gave it credit for. Well, that's why
0: I started by saying in the theater itself, I was just kind of like, eh, this is fine, I guess. Because it did not, to be fair to it, it did not inspire the visceral reaction that you might expect based on all the criticisms. that I No, not at all. Nolan's competent and he keeps the movie moving. And his music, for as dumb as it is, does keep you on the edge of your seat, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. It does.
0: I mean, he has a few tricks and... They yeah. they work. Yeah. But it's not a fun movie to think about.
1: No. It makes me... It's 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 been making me think of other action movies I like that do have verve and life and stuff. But uh, well, I guess I'm not going to see this one again, Nathan.
0: No, I, I don't think that... Would you recommend that our listeners see it once? Only kind of. I, I think you'll be bored. I mean, I think... I have a hard time imagining people really just falling in love with this movie. Like Inception... Not my favorite, but I get it. I understand why people why people went, like it a lot. For it, Dark yep. Knight, same thing. Interstellar, yep. same thing. Yep. But I have a hard time imagining anyone really just like. It's walk. like the least human of his movies. Yeah, there's just not a lot to well. I, he, latch here's,
1: onto. I, I here's 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 what I'll say. Here's the best praise I can give it. You'll be bored, but only <laughs> only the more that you think about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <You're> right? <laughs> how's, how's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not going to be too bored just watching it. You'll be like mildly entertained. Yeah. And then the more you think about it, the more boring and life draining it will become.
0: Yeah, I wish wish we could do an inversion and take the technical skill of this Nolan and invert him back to Batman Begins, to that guy's story sense. I think then we'd have like a Mm -hmm. nice... Mix of Nolans. Yeah, then you still need a, a script writer. You still need a script writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he hasn't met the script writer yet. <laughs> oh, but he will. He will. <laughs> I do just want to emphasize, like I said, it is weird to me how I know I've already said this, but it just kind of boggles my mind. Nolan really acts like these things are special. It's like we've seen exotic locations. Like there's still new James Bond movies coming out. You're you're acting like yeah. you're capturing something that cinema doesn't really do anymore actually there are practical action scenes being done you know if if you're just saying i can do something that marvel movies don't do great but actually a lot of other people can do things that marvel and do do things that marvel movies don't do it's still being done there's nothing intrinsically special about the story that he's telling or the way that he's telling it or the way that he does his action scenes or the way that he constructs his screenplay. Mm-hmm. And yet, and this is where Nolan offends me, it feels like he thinks that there is. If he just had the humility to say, I'm another dude, you know, I'm, I'm another Zack Snyder or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd much rather watch a Zack Snyder action scene than this guy.
1: <sighs> Zack Snyder is pretty good at action scenes, it turns out. Zack Snyder is
0: great at action scenes. Zack Snyder is great at a lot of things, actually. Yep.
1: He's just a terrible filmmaker
0: in his own way because <laughs> yeah. of other weaknesses. He's a terrible filmmaker and a even worse moralist, which makes him a bad filmmaker. But I'd be much more entertained watching a Zack Snyder movie than I would be. Yeah, true. I mean, I, I it, it's, it's a personal thing. I, I have limited patience for pretension and for humorlessness. It's one of the reasons why I don't like... Denny Villeneuve movies, generally speaking. They're very well made, but it's just like, this is so ponderous. And it (laughs) it, it seems to think that it's more important than it actually is.
1: Agree with you there.
0: I just don't like that. If Nolan did all the same stupid stuff and just didn't seem to think that he was doing anything all that special, I think I'd like him better. Sure. But then if he had that kind of humility, he would do things a little differently. Maybe give his audience some handles and... Work harder to write some good scenes.
1: So. Yeah, find a scriptwriter. I mean, maybe have more of a knowledge of his own weaknesses as as
0: a scriptwriter. Yeah,
1: realize oh, I'm not that good at people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess the devil might say you can watch a million movies for people. That's not actually sure what this is about. Well, in that case, then
1: Nolan should stop trying to make me care deeply about a battered wife by showing me emotional flashbacks. Exactly. And doing the same thing in Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. because he is trying hard to make me connect emotionally with his characters and he's failing.
0: Gives some credit to Denny Villeneuve or however you say his name. Yeah. He knows what he's aiming at and generally hits it. Whether it's something that I personally want him to aim at is another question. Yeah. But he's, yeah. he's a much better shot than <laughs> Christopher Nolan. Yeah.
1: Either. Yeah, he is. It is. I guess the only other thing I'll say is that it has a bunch of non-character characters just like inception did kind of like the way inception wastes tom hardy yeah it just uses like this guy's kind of charismatic and fun and you're like you know it's the kind of actor as soon as you see them on screen you begin to have a little bit more fun Mm -hmm. nolan has a sense of that so he puts them on screen without even if he gives them a name you won't remember because they don't register as a person so much as uh, just a presence for yeah. a scene here or there.
0: It's really weird. Like, it's really weird. Again, it feels like he doesn't want to just write and film the scene where those guys are smoking cigarettes in an alleyway and yeah. the hero walks up and outsmarts them and asks them to join his merry band and they yeah. all kind of laugh together. It's like yep, something like that would go a long way towards making you care when Boy, these guys it. are doing their Yeah,
1: stuff. instead it's like, yeah, it looks like there's now a crew of guys helping the main hero. Wait, who are these guys again? Oh, well. Oh, there's there's an even bigger crew and there's some military dude who's in charge of stuff. Wait, how did he get connected and who? Oh, well.
0: I mean, it would literally be who like cares? if Indiana Jones was trying to hijack a tank and suddenly a character named Sola was helping him with the tank <laughs> and we didn't know who that guy was or where he'd come from.
1: Right, right. And there was, there was some brief line of dialogue about him buried under a thumping line that might have explained it, but- You don't even, by that point, you don't even care enough to go back and watch Tenet again so you could hear that line of dialogue.
0: But then to keep the analogy, you would still hire John Reese davies and you would still have him be perfectly charming as Sola. It would just be like you didn't actually give him, allow him the space to make a character.
1: That's right. And so the audience would be like, that guy was kind of cool, I guess. Why didn't we?
0: Whoever he was. Spend time with that guy. Yeah. (sighs) Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Hollywood. Thanks, Christopher Nolan. Yep. I wonder what Jake would have said if he was here. We're well, we have fun maybe trying to imagine what Jake would have said. Do you think Jake would? Uh, let's speculate because Jake hasn't okay. seen the movie yet. All right, sure. Will Jake like this movie? No. Yeah, I don't think he'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being a snob when I say that. No, no, no. I mean, Jake's. More of a populist than either one of us. So maybe he'll have a little bit more patience. This isn't a some, movie for people who like. character Ordinary and, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's
1: not. It's not a movie for people who like. Sentimental superhero stories. It's just. I don't know. Yeah. If anything.
0: We it's should like be. Anti-populist. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Like,
1: it's like. It's like Nolan wants us to be. I think Nolan actually wants the populists And he wants the snobs. To like his movie.
0: But he ends up with a movie. That's not. That much fun for either group. Yeah. Well, and that's what really annoys me because it feels like he's trying to trick the populists. It feels like he really thinks he can, I don't know Christopher Nolan's heart. I don't know what he's really thinking. I do know what it feels like he's thinking. And what it feels like he's thinking is if I am pretentious enough in my presentation, I can trick ordinary people into thinking that I'm doing something smart and that I have something to say. If I just deny them the fun little scenes that they would normally have. And if I don't give as much time to setting up this character, if I, if I just leave some things elliptical and kind of turn that soundtrack up, people will really think this is smart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that is how it feels. I don't think that is what Nolan feels. I think he feels like he's making something interesting and it's suspenseful enough. It's mysterious enough that people will be interested. They'll feel interested. They'll enjoy the charm that, Pattinson and Washington can bring to their roles. Mm-hmm. I think that's how he feels about it. He's just wrong. It just feels like he's a little disconnected from, like
0: from his own movies and what they will mean to people. Or, or even from the genre. It's like, did, did you watch, have you ever watched Star Trek, the next generation? Do you know that they play with these kinds of conceits in every third episode? And that the average nerd, you know, has seen Dr. Who and watched Dr. Who maybe, Oh, I'm going to meet you in the future. Like, That's Mm -hmm. not the first time that a lot of people are encountering that, actually. Well, for
1: whatever reason, Nolan is a very financially successful filmmaker so far. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you can blame him for thinking people sure loved Inception. Well, this is like Inception to the next power or whatever. Right? However you would say that.
0: And and I will admit, I am the wrong audience. I have seen these tropes more than most people. I am more aware of (laughs) them, I think, than a lot of people. But I don't know.
1: Yeah. Still don't like it. Yeah. Well, I don't either. Wish I did. Yep. I actually wish I did. Yeah. And uh, oh, hey, while we're at it, I think the last thing I could say is very excited for Robert Pattinson to be the Batman, even if the Batman is a terrible, gruesome movie, which it looks like it might be. I'm very excited for John David Washington to be the next Black Panther, which
0: Uh, I hope someone will figure out that he should be. I I have not actually read this or heard this, but I cannot imagine that that's not what all of nerddom is thinking and How could you all not? of Hollywood. I mean, he's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing where his career goes. Yeah, He's nice really grade. good. And as we record this, the first Dune, full Dune trailer just dropped. And right. speaking of right. Denny Villeneuve, that looks awesome.
1: I What I said to Nathan in a text yesterday after I watched it was, it looks swashbuckling, which is my memory. I mean, for all Dune being a bizarre sci-fi book that's for nerds, what you can get out of it, if you're a kid who reads it, like I like I was, is this is a really
0: swashbuckling book.
1: Yeah, like it's full of daring do. The first one, the first one.
0: Frank Herbert himself one. was not interested, I don't think, in that at all. But he based did on it where he took the story. He but, did
1: it anyway. Yeah,
0: he it, he accidentally maybe kind of he just he did it one way or another. Yeah, and it looks like they're really capturing that the yeah the shield fights actually look like something new and cool and interesting. Yeah, it's not that dumb force field effect that the other two dune adaptions have had yeah the sandworm actually managed to be impressive and yeah epic in a way that i didn't expect yeah obviously all the all the cast looked Amazing. Yeah,
1: Jason Momoa, Aquaman. He, he looks like he's having fun. Now who, did, who does he actually play? Is I, th- he, I think he's Duncan Idaho. Is
0: he Duncan Idaho? Okay. Yeah. So he'll get cloned a million times if they do the sequels. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man, those will be some joyless sequels. Yeah. I don't
1: want to see Villeneuve
0: or whatever, however you say his name, make doing sequels. I think they're too smart. I think that any producer worth his salt would say, we are not going to film these stupid, ridiculous, boring actionless sequels. I mean, we don't want to see, I hope not. We don't want to see Leto Atreides the second turn into a giant sandworm, sandworm, <laughs> sandworm human. And hybrid. then profound bad political philosophy for two hours, which is what a straight adapt- adaptation of some of those sequels would be.
1: That's right. Those books are bizarre. And
0: there's but, some cool ideas you could steal and yeah. some things you could do. And I would, yeah. I would, but you have to write your own story. If yeah, you're going to yeah. do it, you musical. have to write your own story.
1: Well, I hope this movie is as much fun as it looks like it actually is because it looks fun.
0: Yeah, it looks epic. It looks earnest. I think Villeneuve's... Is that how you say his name? I really Villeneuve. don't know. I think his essential, you. his essential seriousness, I think, will actually work well for yep. Dune. You can kind of be as ponderous and borderline pretentious with that material as you want to.
1: Well, what's nice about at least the first Dune, which the other Dune books don't have this, but is that the first Dune is like has that feeling of hopeless romanticism mm-hmm. that you kind I mean a vaguely similar feeling to what you get from reading Lord of the Rings. And I think because Villeneuve is so earnest, he's going to like buy that and play it up. Yeah. That's what I hope. I hope he'll play up the melodrama yeah, because it, swashbuckling it, 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 and melodrama is what makes that first Dune book work. Yeah. So
0: and it looks like he does. I mean
1: It does look like he does.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like timothy Shalom, whatever. whatever you say his name is yeah. is gonna be actually young and earnest and excited and, yeah yeah it looks great so i'm excited yeah that sandworm was a big sandworm
1: <laughs> it's a big sandworm
0: <laughs> which yeah. is a really smart decision actually like we've seen tremors we've seen other sandworms like the only way to make your sandworm really pop is to make it huge <laughs> <laughs> it's huge <laughs> which they did Oh man! All right. Well, sanity at the movies performed by me, ex- or, well, performed by me and Ben Sulzer yeah. today. Uh, executive produced by Jake and me. Jake's not here, man, but you know, I bet he'll come back sometime. Mm. Yeah. Until next time. Stay inverted. <laughs>